another day, another podcast, another week, another podcast, another year, another podcast. We're fastly approaching. Fastly, that's a word. I can't decide if I'm saying vast or fast. Either way, it's quickly approaching. What? The two-year anniversary of the Energy is Love podcast. That just blows my mind. Two years. We now have enough episodes of the podcast that you, the listener, can go back and listen to one a week for the next two years. Just do that. Enjoy. Start from the beginning. But it's wonderful. Thank you to all of our listeners for all of the support. It's been super fun doing it, and we're going to continue. I'm going to keep going and going and going and going. But if you just found the podcast, if this is the first episode you're listening to, do me a favor and go to iTunes and subscribe and then rate it. Give it a five-star rating and then in the comments write five stars. <laughs> no, but if you go share the podcast, like it, review it, all those kind of different things, that just helps us continue to grow. There's some good stuff in here, so we want everybody to hear it and listen. Share it. Go tell somebody. Go to energieslovepodcast.com and find all the links, all the information, all the episodes. If you're interested as well, you can also go to the website and click on the tab that says coaching. I work with men one-on-one -on -one and we, we go deep, we dive deep into all sorts of different stuff, but the sole purpose of it is really just helping that guy, helping that man slow down, connect, evolve, expand, all those kind of different things. And that's very elusive, right? Who knows what I'm talking about? But I love it. So if you're interested, hit me up. Reach out on the website. You can email me at craig at energieslovepodcast.com so that I can help you. Let me help you. You help me. I'll help you. We help each other. It's pretty magnificent. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Refinery Barbershop located in Springville, Utah. Go online to refinerybarbershop.com. Or go to Facebook. You can find them there as well, the Refinery Barbershop on Facebook. It's a great place to get a haircut, and it's like a real haircut. I'm not talking about the place you can go get a haircut inside of Walmart or the strip mall or your mom. My mom used to cut my hair when I was little. She did a great job. Thank you, Mom. This is a real haircut. This is a real haircut, a real shave, a real trim up your beard, your mustache. It's the real deal. It's a cool place too, man. You go sit in those barber chairs and you're in this wonderful environment surrounded by these great men who are upholding this traditional style of cutting your hair that dates back to, God, I don't even know, a long time ago. Well, we've been cutting hair for a long time, obviously, but if you're in need of a haircut or that nice little, I need to go get my beard trimmed again. It's looking pretty shabby. Go pop in, get it done. Say hi to Steven and his guys down there. And let them know you heard about them on the energyislovepodcast.com. Oh, go follow them on Facebook too. Get out there. Like, everybody's on Facebook, right? Or not anymore, supposedly. Who knows? So this episode's kind of unique. Honestly, I was a little nervous to do this episode. I was also extremely excited to do it. And this is one of those episodes that's pretty much just for me. Well, all the episodes are for me because I'm only interviewing and talking and sharing all the uh, wonderful people that I want to, <laughs> people that I want to connect with, people that I want to learn more about. So, but yeah, this one's just straight up mine. You guys are going to get something from it because you get something, I'm sure, from every episode of the podcast. But on today's episode, it's my big brother, Adam Salazar, sits down for 
uh, a really unique episode and it was a great conversation, a great chat as always. But the purpose of it was I wanted to know my brother better. We obviously grew up together. He's a few years older than I am. But I had a recent experience and realization that I came to where I felt like I kind of only knew uh, the cliff notes of my brother's life and his experiences. And even though I know who he is and we've got all of our childhood growing up in the same house together and spending all this time together, at the current state that I'm at in my life, um, I didn't really feel like I knew my brother that well. So what better way (laughs) than sitting down and recording a podcast? And it was great. We absolutely loved it. We recorded outside on a sunny day, sat and got a little sunburn, uh, sat back and relaxed and drank my coffee, and just listened to my brother tell his life story. I don't know what else to say. I love him. I love the podcast. But I hope you guys enjoy. He's a fascinating guy. But now you too get to listen to uh, my brother and learn about his life story. But I want to thank you, Adam, for sitting down on the podcast. It was a hell of a good time. But now we've got this awesome episode together. So thank you, man. I love you. And everybody sit back, relax. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Are you nervous at all? No. Should I be? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know if you knew quite what to expect. No. No, I'm fine. So we're going to start off with one of the things that I've been doing lately uh, with this new batch of episodes, and I'm going to start doing that on every single episode that comes out, is everybody gets the question... What mental illness do you suffer from? Mm-hmm. Uh, what issues do you have when it comes to your mental well-being, your mental health, uh, your mental balance? But something really, really light and easy to start. The exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, the whole purpose of that is bringing the stigma surrounding mental health um, out, so that right. people share about it more, talk about it more. Because I believe everybody has some form of mental illness Mm -hmm. everybody has some issue that they struggle with so just getting better at talking about it openly casually exactly and you know removing the whole stigma stigma. and everything surrounding it so okay what's yours um i definitely feel like i get a little a little ocd and a little manic from time to times you know what i mean when those fucking things go over we're gonna have to pause that's fine my favorite was when we would be shooting on campus. Yeah. And, like, there's no bell or anything. Oh, and there is the, the bell tower, but there's no bell letting people know the classes are out. But all of a sudden, there'd be tons of background noise and people passing in my shot and looking over. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Let's just wait between classes and we'll, we'll go from there. Between that and the jets. Yeah. I think we did two projects. Out on, out on campus. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, yeah, no, we're never again. We're recording from war-torn Ogden City. Right. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, F, not, what, what would they be? F-22s? I don't even know. I don't even know. They have like the latest stuff out there. Yeah. I don't know if it's the Raptor or anything, but it's not like Top Gun out there anymore. They've got some <laughs> high-tech stuff. Yeah. So it's it's pretty fun. There's a road, and we used to play baseball on one of those fields, where you can go and watch them take off. And it's just incredible. Yeah, to watch to, them go. Yeah, because the runway is at the end of the road. 
and so they just take off and fly right over your head and yeah it's it's a lot of fun to watch well we'll do the best that we can with it because i wanted to sit outside it's nice yeah so back to your mental oh so yeah so um i i definitely feel myself get a little ocd but not it's not like i don't feel like it interfere with anything but i just start to get into that line of thinking double checking things trying to get as many plates spinning at once you know what i mean um and then yeah i definitely feel like with the mania you know i'll i'll be riding a good crest of energy for a couple of weeks and then something will happen you know uh, a setback with uh work or family or it doesn't matter how minor but then i'll just like take a little mini spiral and it never gets to the point where i feel like um it's debilitating or it keeps me from uh functioning it's more of just a you know oh this is this is what they talk about like like this times 10 is what you know the horror that all these all these folks are going through and it's nice because marisa and i my wife marisa we're a very good checks and balance for that because we we talk so often you know we're always you know checking in about our day checking in how we're doing just big stuff small stuff you know we just we visit all the time so she's really good about helping me pull back from that or talking me down type of thing so that i don't spin out versus i think if people don't have that kind of resource or if people have the res or you know if it's a situation where um somebody reinforces that like you see these couples where you know, oh yeah, it is like that. Oh, totally. Yeah, they are out against you. Yeah, they just aggravate it. Yeah. Then I think it that would be feed into that chaos. Well, a and bit. I don't know how they would pull out. You know, out, out of that dive, out of that spinning out, without somebody to kind of when somebody is feeding into that, when somebody is telling them everything that feeds right into that. Yeah. So, those are the two that I noticed the most. I'm sure my wife and kids would have <laughs> a bigger list, a much bigger list. Well, I think it, you know, it highlights because I'm of the opinion too. That's why I think everybody suffers from these issues in one way, shape, or form because it's all just this big spectrum and sliding scale in a sense, right? Oh, for sure, for Where, sure. You know, like you said, you notice that oh, this this times ten would be the you know the person that's really suffering, mm -hmm. really debilitating, has a difficult time maintaining mm -hmm. a regular life because of this issue but yet you just have a smaller version of it in a sense mm -hmm. well and, and you and you really look and see you know somebody that didn't have access to the same resources that i do you know good insurance good support of family regular income you know what i mean no you know food insecurity or house insecurity and you can see how how quickly all of these little peripheral resources that you don't even consider somebody who doesn't have that kind of stuff you know how how would they bounce back you know i mean they could slip on a banana pill you know and just never never be able to pull themselves out of of that kind of stuff yeah it's so, a lot more challenging yeah um <clears throat> have there ever because i think uh, another factor too is you go through phases in your life where um you know, it's enhanced and it's worse mm -hmm. or it may even manifest or morph into some other, what we would typically classify as some sort of mental illness. Have you ever had phases or time periods in your life where you feel like maybe you struggled a little bit more in some of those spaces? Um, 
I've, I've definitely gone through phases where I feel like I've been in a funk for a longer period of time. And it's usually associated with um, some kind of professional setback or some kind of professional failure. Like if, I, if I'm looking for a new job, you know, and I go through two months of rejection, you know, then it's harder. To, then it's just like that omnipresent cloud that never has a break in it. Mm-hmm. And then, then I just like, oh, man, I got to, you know, what do I got to do? And so what I've tried to do in those situations, you know, and again, this is, you know, first world problems. I can just pause the job search. You know, I can just pause whatever that stressor is and not think about it. Just put it aside, put it on the back burner and then go back and, you know, maybe, you know, take a month off. And then the second, you know, after that, go back and um, change my resume change my job alerts, do some things to kind of feel like I'm proactively remedying that situation. Yeah. Pull and, your head and then pull your headphone cord just away from the mic. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, so that I can at least mix that up. Had, did you ever go through a time period where you uh, took medication for anything? No, no. I'm, I'm sure that I went, there were times where I, I should have been on something or I could have, but it wasn't on my radar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Did you know that I did at one point? I think we talked about it at one point. I didn't ever like go on a strict regimen of it. Mm-hmm. I never really actually took anything, but I was seeing some, I was seeing a counselor for a long time. It's when we lived up in Layton mm-hmm. and I saw this guy that I really, really liked, but he was like a uh, clinical social, social worker. So he couldn't technically, um, diagnose you and he couldn't prescribe things and so he refers me out to somebody else that can actually do that and i went and saw this guy and didn't connect with him at all just you know he didn't listen to anything i had to say more or less he realized that that was his purpose and his job i guess for the experience that him and i had together so he was just like here try this and he threw a sample pack of some medication that was for bipolar and i think i tried it for like two or three days and that was it i'm like fuck that (laughs) it was weird it didn't make me feel good at all. Yeah. And granted, I could have, you know, because that stuff takes time to get into your system right. and you acclimate to it. But right. that was the only time that I ever took anything and I hated it, you know, other than just self-medication with alcohol and cigarettes. And oh, yeah. The, all the, sorts of other The standard stuff. self-medication yeah. routine has never failed me. So. <laughs> do you want to move into the shade? Are you, no, do you want okay. a hat or anything? I'm fine. I've got plenty of sunscreen if you need something. It's okay. So... One of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you, I told you a little bit uh, when we chatted on the phone and stuff like that, but what I want to do is I want, I want, I want to hear about your life. Okay. I want your life story. Um, okay. You were there for the first half. Yes. But I want to hear about it, right? I want, I, I want you to pretend that I wasn't there for it. Okay. And I want you to give me your life story in a sense. Um, I had this, it was back in March when I went on that retreat uh, in Josh your, retreat your, for your Vision Man. Quest. Yes. Yeah. And... <laughs> one of the really profound things that happened to me, and I won't go into the whole experience of it because it's a long story and it has so many different layers to it. Mm-hmm. But I walked away after that event and I realized that first off, our father was never really that present in our life from, you know, any standpoint, basically at any, at any age point that I can go back and remember, he just wasn't really that present. And then some part of me needing a father figure just transimpose all of that, all of that need, all of that want, all of that desire, even if it was like on a subconscious level, 
uh, just shifted it to you because I idolized you. I looked up to you in so many ways. Well, how, how could you not? Right. I mean, yeah. it's normal. Yeah. I think. Well, plus I'm pretty awesome. You are. I don't, it's not just that I'm the <laughs> older brother. It's that I'm, I mean, I walk on water. But I realized that, um, in some regards, right. And then it was like also the realization of like, how are you supposed to fulfill that role? Right. That's not your role as my mm -hmm. older brother to give me all of those things that a father's supposed to give. But yet I was still, um, searching for it, still needing it, still wanting it, all those kind of different things. And, uh, I mean, it's been a massive amount of processing and realization and putting kind of pieces together over the last couple of months. But we, we had dinner. I got home from Joshua Tree and uh -huh. called you and we went and had dinner. And I realized afterwards, it's like, I don't want to go any really more amount of time in my life and not know my brothers. Uh -huh. And I'm tired of just having the cliff notes of your life and the shared experiences that we had as children on, you know, any number of occasions and growing up together and family vacations and things that we've done and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I've got those experiences, but at the same time, I don't know what your life was like. I don't know what it was like from your perspective, from your experience. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we're so focused on ourselves. I think that, you know, I can go back and recount my childhood, but it's from my perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I want to hear about your life. So we're going to take, <laughs> we're going to take the next four hours <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just tell me your story. Um, like I don't know it. Well, uh, grew up in Grantsville. That's a small town in uh, Twila County, which is rural Utah, out on the West Desert. So it's very, um, it, it is a desert. It's dry, you know, cold in the winter, you know, super hot in the summer, and grew up pre-internet, right? Right at the tail end of the pre-internet age. Like I remember, you know, having regular access to the internet as a novelty thing, um, when I went to college, right? And so, so that really facilitated, you know, what we consider, you know, the classic uh, elements of a childhood where we're outside all the time. We're playing with the neighborhood kids all the time. You know, we played a ton of sports, you know, because video games were not great. <laughs> there were some great games. They were they were they were at the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But they weren't all encompassing the way they are now, right? They weren't um you know, to find a, a two-player game was a novelty that, that you could do with a friend. And so, you know, it was really nice. It was um, you know, 80s and very early 90s. And so it, it you know, in a small town, so we still didn't have a lot of the you know, it's not as if we were up to speed on any pop culture stuff either. So you could even push it into like a, a 60s, 70s mystique in that, you know, there was not a lot of pop culture influence or, um, I mean, like we didn't have cable, you know what I mean? We didn't have, um, we didn't have a stoplight. So, I mean, it's not like we had regular access to, to movie theaters. You know, I listen to the guys on Geek Show because they're roughly just a few years older than uh, us. And they talk about comic books and how comic books was a, a major part of their childhood. And part of the reason why they had access to comic books was because they were in a bigger city, you know. So we would have loved to have comic books, but it, it, I, don't, I don't know that there was a place where we could have gotten comic books. 
in that town. And then same type of thing with music, you know. Um, adult contemporary and country was really the only music on the radio. So it's not as if we got exposed to a lot of trends or um, culture that was really, you know, moving or shifting. I mean, I get to college and there are, you know, pop culture references, songs, uh, all kinds of stuff that everybody knows by heart. And I had no idea what they were. I remember at my graduation uh, speech, the, the, the speaker at my graduation for, for high school or for high school, for high school specifically referenced, um, uh, Beavis and Butthead. Right. (laughs) And he thought he was the most clever. I think we're upsetting this guy here because we're in his spot. Oh, that's awesome. He has the deck reserved for this time of day. (laughs) It was a squirrel that just ran by. Yeah. Um, he referenced uh, Beavis and Butthead and we're all just sitting there thinking, brother, nobody here knows. Like we get that Beavis and Butthead is a thing. Nobody here has seen a single episode. Yeah. (laughs) So, so it was kind of isolating in that respect. Um, but it was great. I mean, you know, and I love being from Grantsville. I love being from Twila County. I couldn't see myself living back there, but part of that is just, you know, the, the industry I'm in. There's not a ton of work that I could do out in that area is yeah. all. It's still pretty rural. Oh yeah. And that's what I've been surprised by. You know, Reese and I talk about that cause we've got all the nieces and nephews that still live out there. You know, we thought the internet was going to be this big, you know, equalizer and level the playing field and give these, you know, rural kids so much access and kind of just get everybody on the same page. And it's like, no, it's still 20 years behind out in places like Grantsville. And I'm sure it's true that that same thing's true in any kind of um, rural areas, you know, regardless of what state. Did you... Because I remember, I mean, I remember always wanting to do what you were doing or, you know, like you going out and spending time with your friends or doing something like that. But what was it like, you know, like five, six, seven, you know, even like nine and 10 years old? Were you, did you have a group of friends that you hung out with? Were you riding your bike all over town? Did you go through phases like that where you were kind of mobile as a kid? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Once we had the bikes, man. You know, we were off to the races. I mean, I remember biking up to the dam and that was nothing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's, that's weekday stuff. Um, walking, you know, it didn't matter. You could walk and go get a shake, you know, from Robbins or um, some of those things. And it was nothing to walk down to Way Station and get a big gulp refill, you know. And I look at it now and think, you know how much sugar and garbage were we eating? It's like, well, you were walking a mile to get there one way. You know what I mean? And then just, um, you know, grabbing you guys, you and Brian, and going down to the school and playing Frisbee or playing games in the backyard. Did you have a group of friends, though? Like, did Uh, you have buddies that you hung out with on a regular basis? uh, No, I didn't have a group of buddies that I hung out with on a regular basis. Not like you had. Not like Brian had with Benji. I had friends that were in different spheres. So I would have friends um, that I always play sports with. Or I had friends that I ultimately end up doing theater in high school with. 
but I didn't have any close buddies that I grew up with and that I hung out with, you know, regularly. Like a big portion of my, you know, the adolescent age when you're kind of coming into your own, like Asher's right at this phase, he's going to be 12 soon and you're going into middle school and junior high school and things like that. I had like this dedicated core group of guys Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'd hop on my bike and go down to Kelly's house or, you know, I'd walk up the street to Clint's or whatever, but I had all of these guys that we would continually ride bikes all over town, have sleepovers on a regular basis. We would do all of these things all the time. Um, and I remember, I mean, that defined a big portion of my childhood. Did you not have that? No, I didn't. Not, not at the bike riding age. I had like, like we had kids in the neighborhood that we would hang out with or we'd bike over and, and see what they were doing or if they could play. But I didn't have the same group of friends all through, you know, elementary, junior, middle school and, and high school that I was, that I was constantly doing stuff with or constantly hanging out with Alex is that same way Alex has the lunch bunch and they're you know always in each other's back pocket Mm -hmm. but no I didn't have I had like I said I had friends that were from different groups and stuff but um so you didn't have like a bunch of sleepovers and things like that no not really not that I can remember so what did you do like for me I'm sitting here thinking I'm like that defines so much of what I did yeah what did you do then during that time time Um, period I, from what I can remember, it was just, a you know, just riding around on our bikes, you know, riding down to the way station, riding around the elementary school, doing all the silly fun things at the elementary school when they had those, uh, toys that could kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had that big, long, uh, slope that kind of pulled up into a ramp. I remember we used to jump our bikes off that biking up to the little dam and going fishing. I remember when the little dam came or I guess it was the big dam because the little dam was the, the runoff and biking out there with our fishing gear. You know, I was, went fishing out there with a bunch of friends at some points, you know, hanging out and trying to find a basketball hoop. And, you know, I, we'd go down to Zeb's place at the end of, um, I don't even know what that street is, Cherry. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a basketball at the end of that little cul-de-sac, that little one way. And they had a bunch of guys our age. So there's always somebody playing ball. Um, so that kind of stuff. And then I did a ton more scouting stuff. Yeah. How big of a role do you think that played in your, uh, you know, growing up? Um, well, pretty, pretty big. You know what I mean? There was, we had a real active group for a long time. And so I remember doing a ton, I mean, a metric ton of scouting stuff, whether it be the, um, weekly meetings where we'd go and, and do some craft or some kind of scout skill or the, the campouts. Because, you know, rural Utah, pre-internet, like it was just everything was outdoors. I mean, we could have gone into our backyard and earned an Eagle Scout. Uh, it, you just had so much, you know, all the South Willow stuff, all the Davenport, so many different campouts and Sometimes it was just an overnighter. Sometimes it was the 50 miler. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That we did that one summer. So ton, tons of scouting stuff. What are some of the highlights like in your mind? If I mean, how often do you think back to your childhood? Do you not really? Um, I don't, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think I do really. You know what I mean? Um, I really enjoyed the scouting stuff. 
um, the 50 milers, some of the scout camps, you know, I would, I would, we did a lot of the scout camps, um, some of the family vacations, some of the family vacations with, uh, into California, into Yellowstone, uh, the stuff we used to do with, uh, mom's dad, you know, grandpa M lane, um, that kind of stuff, holiday stuff, that kind of stuff, but not, I think part of it is that you still live out there. So that nostalgia is everywhere. And anytime something in that town changes, it cues up all of that nostalgia for you. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Versus anytime I drive through Grantsville, it's a completely different experience for me because, you know, I notice the things that have changed. I tell the kids a couple of lame dad stories and, and that's about it. I'm not immersed in it, in that, in that area. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely am. (laughs) (laughs) Steph just opened up her studio and, um, for massage and it's in, it's in Robbins. It's in the same building that Robbins is. Yeah. Yeah. And we were sitting in the lobby. Um, she was waiting for the lady that owns the building to come by and we're sitting there and I'm like, I could just close my eyes and visualize what that place looked like 20 years ago. I mean, we could go in and tell you where the video games were. Yeah. And the ordering counter and the stuff we used to get, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That was, that was the good stuff, man. That was <laughs> just down the street, you know, dollar shakes. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what every boy needs. <laughs> so now tell me about, uh, like your fa- family dynamics kind of from your perspective. My, my family now or our family growing up? Growing up. Well, um, you know, mom and dad, I feel like fought a lot. You know, from, you know, always, you know, dad being, um, working the hours that he did kind of created a dynamic where it was, you know, one way of doing things while he was gone and then a different way of doing things when he was home, that kind of stuff. But, um, I don't remember like like a, a turn or a massive shift. I mean, I'm sure you do cause you were a little bit younger. And so when they broke up, you know, you, it was right in your early high school, high school years. Yeah. I was 14 when they got divorced. Yeah. So for me, um, I was out of the house when everything finally, finally, finally happened. But for me, I just remember this, you know, omnipresent tension that was just always part of the deal. You know what I mean? You gotta give me more. Well, I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what you're asking. I don't know what you're looking for. Well, just describe. Just describe. I mean, <clears throat> like, what was it like to grow up in a house like that? Well, it it was it was tense. You know, you kind of learn to navigate, um, and kind of move between that. Kind of watch your p's and q's. You know, like. I didn't, I, I feel like I spent a lot of time at other places, other friends' houses. I didn't feel like ours was the, the house to hang out with because of that tension. You just kind of acclimate to it so early that you don't really have a comparison or something to lament. You know what I mean? But you just, and I don't, like, I don't remember it being like movie of the week horrific, just this obvious tension that you know these two aren't getting along you know these two aren't necessarily uh happy with the situation 
And so it just kind of, you know, um, us trying to be as not accommodating, but kind of work within that space. And do you remember that like as far back? I mean, do you, do you have any other memories of it not being like that where it was always kind of happened to walk on eggshells in a sense? Um, no, but I don't know if it's that it, it was always like that or if I just was such a narcissist as a kid that you don't like, you don't notice other people outside of you until you're, you know, preteen, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's hard to say if, if there was a good time and I was there for that, or if it was always bad and I just didn't notice it until I realized I wasn't the center of the universe. Yeah. You know what I mean? How would you describe like Adam as a child? Like if you're going to step outside of yourself, how would you describe yourself? Oh, angelic, um, <laughs> prodigy, godlike. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think as the oldest, I had a little bit more of a burden to be the good example, to walk the straight and narrow, to be a little bit um, more of a helper and support as opposed to just leaning into those rebellion, angsty teen years. Do you feel like you had that awareness or that kind of, I mean, kind of that sense of that obligation and at that point or at that stage, even, you know, maybe as a teenager or did it come? Yeah. Yeah. But not so much that I feel like it kept me from doing my own nonsense or from having a good time. And that's just part of the role of, of being the oldest. I put that exact same burden on Alex, you know, Maurice and I are constantly reminding him to be a, a good example or, you know, he can't really act like that with his friends when his brothers are around, that kind of stuff. So that's just basic birth order and why young or oldest children are always the best. Yeah. So um, I don't think anything beyond that necessarily. So how much of that do you think shaped, you know, because there's a certain, like you said, there's a sense of obligation, right? Uh, this thing where you have to um, uphold to a higher standard in a sense and set a better example. And mm-hmm. how much of that do you think kind of shaped? Well, um, I was never chasing anybody. I was never trying to live up to anybody's uh, previous example. You know, I'm the first pancake on the grill. You know, I watch my two, my boys and um, so much of what the younger two do is based in what the first one did. Mm-hmm. So they either, you know, depending on the situation, they might want to do exactly what the oldest did. They might want to do the exact opposite. And that changes. So for the oldest, first one out of the gate, you know, there's no pressure to, there's pressure to like, you know, be a good example, but there's no standard that I was chasing. You know what I mean? That's different than what I see now that I have my own sons where they're very much aware of what did Alex do here? Okay, I'll do that. Or I'll do the exact opposite that it's always on it's for, it's not, not always forefront, but it's, it's definitely, um, a contributing factor to what the boys do. So then you didn't really have a lot of leadership in a sense either. Well, Cause I can see that dynamic very clearly from my perspective, right? Yeah. Cause I continually chased after what you were doing and idolized you and wanted to be like you and wanted right. to follow in your footsteps. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, in all aspects it was, you know, scouting and yeah. baseball and, 
theater and all of these different things that you had already done previously yeah. and well, I got and to watch. Well, and excelled at. I think it's important that people know <laughs> I, I excelled at each one of those. And um, so I had that, you know, I had that thing to chase in a sense, but also to give me context and guidance, even even in those subconscious ways of like following in those footsteps, you know, you've already walked that path and, mm-hmm. and, you know, not having that, what did that feel like? Because, I mean, we didn't get it. We didn't have anything, you know, as far as guidance and, you know, mom did a wonderful job and dad did fine too. And, you know, we're not going to sit here and... Yeah, yeah. But... Um... I don't feel like I was ever lacking for guidance. You know what I mean? They were both really good about calling out bad behavior, but I never, I don't feel like I ever went through, and again, I'm sure mom and dad would tell you different, a a big rebellion stage, a big react, just going to react to this status quo or this situation in an opposite way, just for the oppositional value. But, um, yeah, I don't think I was ever desperate for an example. And part of, and again, part of that is, you know, that, um, preteen narcissism, you know, that you realize you're not the center of the universe. Part of that's never worn off. Like I've never had self-esteem issues or, (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? Other than, you know, periods of doubt and, uh, imposter syndrome stuff. But like, I've always felt like. No matter what it is, I've always had the hubris that oh, I can do that. You know what I mean? That's that's no problem. I could do that. Stupider people than me do that every day. Of course I could do that. Yeah. So I never felt like I needed to be shown or given permission to try something or to do something because well, I'll just do it. Yeah. That kind of thing. So. Okay. So after you moved out of the house, take me to that point. So went to, to Snow College. <laughs> Which is, I loved, I yeah, love that you went to snow because it's even a smaller, more podunk, well, like remote in the middle of nowhere, 500 people town. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, but you have to understand, like just the fact that I was leaving town to go to college, it may have well have been NYU. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was right. I mean, I was riding out of that town so high because I had gotten a theater scholarship. You know what I mean? Like. The number of people that graduate from Grantsville and go to college is low. You know what I mean? The number of the people that graduate from Grantsville and go to college on a scholarship is even lower. So for me to be able to get out of that town, you know, I may have, it may have well have been Juilliard. <laughs> I was so, so, so full of myself. But yeah, immediately leave one small town and go to another. The difference was Ephraim had a stoplight uh, and Grantsville did not. Um, other than that, it was the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? Was there a certain level of comfort to that? Um, it or- certainly made the, the transition to living on my own and going to co- being a college student easy. Mm-hmm. I had really close friends who were from the city and they struggled in Ephraim because they weren't used to that lifestyle. Um, versus it was a seamless transition for yeah. a small town kid. It's a great school for small town kids to go to. It still is. And so I, you know. Uh, really felt comfortable there. And so I spent the two years there, you know, and then Maurice and I got married and came to Ogden. I had originally wanted to go to Missoula because I was going to do their, um, oh, I remember that creative writing program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to be close to some of the family in, in Layton. So I said, okay, well, we'll, we'll go to Weber, not knowing anything about Ogden, not knowing anything about Weber state. And um, 
like a couple of months into living up here, we just fell in love with it. And it's funny because the same type of thing happened when we moved to Ogden. We didn't move to downtown or whatever you would consider Ogden. We moved to North Ogden, which is still a one horse town at that time. You know what I mean? It's still small. We're five minutes from downtown Ogden. So the transition from rural living to, you know, the the massive metropolitan area that Ogden is now, it was still very gradual for us. Mm-hmm. So even moving into North Ogden was, you know, similar to moving to Ephraim, similar to living in Grantsville. And it's funny because I tease, I tease Marisa. She grew up across the street from her high school. Um, and we're actually closer to the high school than where, she, you know, the, the, the football field. <laughs> up here in Ogden. Yeah. yeah. Like, we are literally in the neighborhood that we grew up in. It just happens to be in Ogden. Yeah. So. How much of, because I remember that time frame in my life, not, I mean, not from the perspective of what you were experiencing, but just that time frame in my life when I was in my early 20s and things like that. And every decision that I made was so reactionary. Like there was very little thought placed into it. It was more or less like, here's the problem, here's the solution. Here's the problem, here's the solution. Do you know what I mean? I didn't really put a lot of thought into fucking anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it was just the, what, what did I want at the moment? What did I need at the moment? What needed to be taken care of? So you talk about, you know, a transitional phase of going to North Ogden where it was a relatively still kind of a smaller, you know, community outside of Ogden itself. So you had that ease of transitioning into moving. I mean, you're freshly married, you had Alex, all these different kind of life changes. Mm-hmm. Was any of that fucking thought out or was it more just like, uh, uh, here, we found a place that was for rent. Like it could have just as easily been an apartment in downtown Ogden, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I remember about that time was the being aware of, of the grind because I had just, um, got my associates was working on my bachelor's working at AOL you know, I, I got that great job at AOL. I was a furniture mover before that. But it was like, you know, this was, you know, mid-90s, right as the tech bubble is about to burst. So everything was just do the work, get that degree, and then you're going to go make six figures writing for this new internet. Um, you know, because everybody was going to need you know, worst case scenario, I'd be some kind of tech writer or some nonsense, you know, because it was so easy to be a tech writer back then. But it was just the grind. So it was just keep the head down, focus on that degree. You know, you know, we had heard there were always these rumors that these guys at AOL were grad or, uh, you know, frontline employees were cashing out their stock options after a few years and turning into millionaires Mm -hmm. because AOL represented like the pinnacle, the, they were on the forefront of all that internet shit. Well, and not, not just that, but like that was going to, I mean, it was like Google of the day in that if you can get in on the ground floor at like something like this, then you could be set for life. Like the the stock is going to double. It's going to, you know what I mean? And some of that played out and some of it didn't, most of it didn't. Um, but so, you know, getting a job there, was like, man, this, I mean, it could be even if the, that college and that writing thing doesn't work out, then I could just sit here and be a millionaire after six years. You know what I mean? When all my stocks vest or some nonsense like that. So Mm -hmm. there, I remember there being a lot of idyllic opportunity and thinking, I just got to 
I just got to keep my head down and, and put in the work, you know, earn the degree, put in the years at, at a company like AOL. And a lot of these things would kind of take care of themselves, take care of itself. How old were you when you had Alex? 19. 19. No, 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 20. 20. What yeah. was that like? Um, just, again, the, the hubris that I had at the time of, well, of course I can do this. I mean, Maurice and I moved to Ogden without a job, you know, and Alex joined us a few months later. Like, just the hubris of, of course I got this. You know, why would I not have this? It's me. Of course I can do this. Like there were no part of you is like freaking out, nervous, scared, overwhelmed. Um, no, not a tradition, not, a, not that traditional, you know, that we see or that we, um, that you see in, on in movies and stuff of like the, the existential crisis panic of, of starting a family. Any, any freak out or anything would just be <clears throat> based around you know, my schedule at AOL would change dramatically every couple of weeks. It wasn't like, you know, a half hour different, you know, from the start. It could be, you know, you've got the morning shift and then the day after tomorrow you come in and you're working graves. So that kind of thing where your job hours would change dramatically, that was the big stressor. And, and keep in mind, I had school. I was still going to school and I was still working part-time, full-time. Had to have been part-time. I think it was part-time because I don't think I had benefits. I don't know. I don't know. But I was still working quite a bit. And so there wasn't a lot of space, a lot of energy to get caught up in the existential fatherhood crisis. Do you think a lot of that, because I've thought about this too, because I talked to a lot of people and, you know, I've talked to a lot of men that are in their, you know, even in their 20s, mid 20s, 30s, uh, 40s even, who don't have children yet who have a desire for children, who have a desire for a family. Um, and they have all of this, all of that angst, all of those nerves, all of this big, huge thing swelled up around this whole concept of what it's like to have a children or a child and to start that journey and that, you know, being a father and all those experiences. I don't feel like I ever had that either where I was nervous about it. It was more or less just happened naturally. And, you know, I was ready for it. It was, I didn't really, it didn't concern me. It didn't worry me. It just seemed like it was always something that I was going to do. And when I did it, it, you know, it was just something else. It was else. just now my time. Yeah. Yeah. A part of that is our hubris. Like we have no problems being cocky and overconfident regardless of the situation. Right. And part of that is that the bandwidth, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't part, like I didn't experience a lot of that because it was a surprise that we got pregnant, but also I didn't have the bandwidth I had work and school and a marriage and moving into a new city. There was no excess thought to devote to that existential fatherhood crisis. And so part of it, I think is the, the, as those guys get older and they have a single, um, lifestyle as a single man and a history of us as a, of, as a, of a lifestyle as a single man, they understand that there's going to be some change but they don't know what that is. And so that would throw them into a loop. You know, I didn't have a time of working as a professional, as a single man. You know, I was always in the dorm, you know, living with buddies, going to school and then living in an apartment with my wife. So there wasn't any big lifestyle. I mean, there were big lifestyle changes, but I didn't have, 
you know, the family lifestyle to compare with the single lifestyle. So I think a lot of it's naive too at sure. that stage in life, right? Where the, sure. the guy that's 35 years old, he might be married. He's got his career. He's already got all of this wisdom and knowledge from, you know, 15 more years of life than the 20 year old kid who has a, who doesn't know what he does. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Part of it was just pure ignorance. Yeah. You know, ignorance is bliss. Mm -hmm. Not knowing, not knowing anything. So I'm going to go piss. Okay. You're fine. I know I'm fine. It's my fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some, I'm going to get some sunscreen. Yeah. I think sitting out in the uh, outside was a wonderful and a shitty idea as well. But it's nice. Super dangerous. <laughs> How is it dangerous? Because I could go up and go up in flames any second being out here in the sun like this. You've always had like more sensitive skin. I know. I know. You didn't get a lot of the Mexican. I did not. How much? One of the things I want to talk to you about, or one of the things I wanted to ask you. I was, I tend to not think about interviews. Um, I tend to just go with. <laughs> That's not obvious at all. <laughs> it, from the sounds of it, you do a ton of prep. Yeah, I do. I do a lot of research. Um, I spent the last week, um, you know, going back through <laughs> our family photos and mm -hmm. old yearbooks and looking at everything just to refresh my memory. But um, how much of a? Uh, not how much. Throughout your life, because we could continue on and, you know, we could get into more detail about kind of, because you've got three boys now, you've been, you and Marie's been married for 20 plus years, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what were some of the points in your life along that way, even, even as a child or as a teenager that stood out as like, like really shitty moments, really challenging moments, moments where you really had to, um, you know, like struggle and grind and up your game in a sense that you got to the point where, you know, you kind of leveled up as a human, as a father, as a husband, as a man. What were some of those moments? Um, definitely around the, the birth of the kids. You know what I mean? Because you kind of, you, you kind of realize what has to change not just in terms of not just in terms of thinking for yourself or your routines and habits as a married couple but also your plans for you know what you had envisioned for your career or your future so you know Alex and Kevin are born and the tech market or the the tech bubble the first tech bubble bursts and then no Nobody's going to hire me, you know, and pay me six figures to write for their website. And so you have to kind of be real mindful of how to pivot and make adjustments on the fly in terms of what your plans are. Like you could, like we, Maurice and I were always good about making a good plan for the long term or something like that. And then when uh, we got, when a wrench gets thrown into the works, okay, well, how do we adjust? and proceed accordingly you know what's the new plan that kind of thing that, that wasn't even remotely close to answering the question I'm, maybe i'm not understanding <laughs> <laughs> what are some moments in your life that you fucked up that you had to struggle that things you know seemed uh teetering you know in the space of whatever it might be uh what were some of the really difficult times that you've had to experience and go through when when we got pregnant with cavern 
that was rough because it was so close to after Alex was born and we didn't have any plan or prep, you know what I mean? And so that was really difficult. That garbage AOL, man, the, the work in a swing shift, working at, you know, having a, having a job where you, your schedule is going to change dramatically from week to week. That's horrible. Right. And I would see 40 year olds, you know, 50 year olds that would have to do that. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't want to be doing this is a young man's game. I don't want to be doing that when I'm that age. That was really hard. Um, when Rocky died, that was really hard. That was, that was hard. I mean, he, he passed so suddenly. He was so young when he passed. Maurice's father. Yeah. Maurice's father. Um, that was, that was rough because we just didn't have any kind of context, any kind of warning. You know, we'd never gone through a death in the family together. You know what I mean? We still had little ones. They were up and part of our lives so often. You know what I mean? He and Danil were always up to visit us. So it was a, a direct, you know, dramatic change to our, our daily life. You what did what you mean? do? How did you manage? Like, what, you know? Um, you know, with the traumas and stuff, you, you, there's no right or wrong way to get through it. You just have to get through it. Yeah. What did you do? Like, what do you mean specifically? <laughs> like, what did I do? I, I, like, how did you manage to cope and move through that time period? You, you just have to... Don't, don't say you. Well, Craig, it's 20 years ago. I know. I, I don't know details about what I did on the day. Or things that happened. But it's a good, it's a good, um, like, that's a really shitty thing to have to experience and go through. Mm -hmm. And so what helped in that space, what made it, because um, you can't necessarily make it easier, but what made it, um, looking back now, what, you know, what were, what were some of the ways that you coped and managed through that space that was healthy and some that weren't? Talking about expectations with your partner was healthy because I would, I would get into like, I would, I would get into this headset where I would plan out, you know, regarding career stuff, regarding job stuff. And I'd think about what I had, what I would want to do and okay, I'll do this minor. I'll take these classes. I'll graduate and I'll do this type of work like that. That could be an internal dialogue that I would have five minutes or five months. Right. But I wouldn't circle in Marisa until it would be time to start to make some of those changes. So if I'm ready to sign up for a class that would impact our schedule this way, I wasn't looping her in early on the early thought discussions I would have with myself. I was only, you know, mentioning it when it's time to sign up for a different class. So that was problematic because she didn't have time to do any of the catch up or any of the um, recontextualizing of what the situation was. Um, when Rocky passed, I just remember thinking that, you know, I just need to give the Estradas whatever they need, however much time or space or resources or support. Cause I mean, Marisa was the youngest, but you know, Nick and her, her siblings, uh, she has an older brother and an older sister. They weren't that much older. 
And so, you know, spending a lot more time out in Grantsville when she wants to, um, making a point to do a lot more family activities, including them, uh, just making that a priority, that kind of thing. I was thinking about this this morning too. I have to fix the, uh, this is a completely shift and change from what we were just talking about, but I have to fix our toilet. We've got a toilet upstairs that's continuing to run and it's like fucking up the plumbing in the whole house. (laughs) It's driving me nuts. So I have to replace all the guts from the toilet. And I was thinking about like some stereotypical things that you would classify as like qualities of a man or abilities of a man or what men are expected to do. And you know, it's a wide range of stuff, right? And everybody's always different and everybody always has their kind of wheelhouse of what they're good at and what they're not good at and mm-hmm. what they excel at. Do you ever have any, like, does it ever frustrate you that you don't have the ability, not necessarily you don't have the ability, but like you don't have that skill set kind of ingrained in you to where you could like frame your basement or rebuild the engine on your car or do you mean some of these things like that, that uh, we just never really had because we weren't taught not to say we couldn't do it, but like there's some of those things that, you know, like Um, the simplest thing of me having to repair my toilet, you know, that's Steph could do it obviously. mm -hmm. Um, not to say that it's a manly thing to do. No, but it's not like we don't know how to do that off the top of our head. Yeah. That's like three Google searches and visiting with the guy at home Depot for half an hour. Exactly. And a lot of fun trial and error. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get stressed or frustrated about that for, for some of those type of mundane home ownership issues, but, um, that's, that's just about it. And it's just a fleeting thought like that. Like, you know, like, um, you know, woodworking and tools, you know, and it's like, man, I wish I could just like when we have to buy something or when there's a a quick fix or something, I wish I could just do that. I wish it was just easy for, you know, throw something like that together. And then it's just a real quick, like, well, yeah, if you had the space and the money to have purchased all of that equipment over yeah, to the have years. the shop in the backyard. Yeah. Like, like so many of those skills and stuff that we, w- that we consider, you know, a lot of it's based on the setting, you know what I mean? You know, Pete, our, our, uh, cousin-in-law, brother-in-law has to make sure that whatever house he buys has space for that garage. Versus out in Twilla, you know, anybody could have space, you know, on their land to do car stuff, to do mm-hmm. woodworking stuff. And and that's just not, that's not always an option. Is there one of those kind of stereotypical man qualities that you wish you did have or that you, you know, had created over time or that, you know, would have been passed down to us or something like that? Mm, no. I mean, I'm very, I'm still very outdoorsy. You know, I still like to hike and camp and, and backpack. Uh, and fish. So I feel like that's my saving grace that I'm at least minimally proficient as an outdoorsy type of guy. And it's fun being in Ogden because it's such a, a hipster based outdoorsy environment here versus someplace in Twila where it's a hunter based. We're much more of a gatherer gatherers here in Ogden compared to the hunters out in Twila County. So like, you know, a past growing up where the kids would come into school with their pheasant feathers or have a dozen one stories of, of hunting and all this game and, you know, stories about that kind of stuff. We didn't, we weren't in that space at all. And so I remember being a little frustrated that, you know, we weren't big hunters, but it's perfect in Ogden because everybody hikes 
you know, mountain bikes, climbs. There's there's some kind of accessible, non-invasive, murdery <laughs> habit up here. Do you wish that you were a hunter now? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes I wish I was a hunter. Um, I like the idea of, like, the, the romanticism idea of the hunting. You know what I mean? But the kind of stuff it would take to get me to, to, to be able to do that kind of thing, not just the investment in equipment, but the, the time and the, the bandwidth to be able to do that. That's not something that I have enough of an interest to go, to go pursue. Did you, like, I remember growing up and going out and shooting bunnies and stuff like that. Did you do much of that at all? No, no. There were a couple of times where uncle Matt dragged me along on a, on a hunt you know, a handful of times of that, but never going out with friends and shooting or anything like that. See, that seems strange to me. I don't, I mean, I think it's fascinating to think of how, how different our lives were, even though we were brought up in the same house and raised by the same parents. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's normal. Obviously it's, you know, everybody's individual and everybody's different and things like that. But I find that stuff fascinating to think about where, I mean, I did grow up, um, you know, chasing lizards and hunting when we got the opportunity. You know, we didn't have guns in the house. Well, we did, but we didn't have hunting rifles or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But so-and-so had the 22s and we'd go out and chase bunnies and spotlight yeah, and I do mean, all of that kind of when stuff. You've, when you've got a, a wide circle of close friends, those are communal resources. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, I had friends that would have a tramp. You know what I mean? I had friends that would have a basketball standard. But... It's not like I was close to guys that were regular, regular hunters or, or anything like that. So I didn't get to do a ton of that stuff. You don't long for it, the romanticism of it? Well, um, I was really active with the scouts when Alex was uh, in scouts. And so, you know, they, we'd go skeet shooting, we'd go snowmobiling. You know, we went to Havasu down in the, the Grand Canyon. So a lot of that stuff that I had missed or didn't get a chance to do when I was a child, I immediately had an opportunity when I was active with the scouts with my own sons. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't feel like I, I would love the experience to go on a deer hunt, an elk hunt or something like that, but I don't, I mean, I certainly could, I've got plenty of friends in which I could tag along, but it's never been a priority enough for me to uh to make it happen and keep in mind a lot of the hunting happens in the fall and my october is always september october is always booked with watching baseball playoffs so it's never been uh, a ton of crossover in terms of you know i'm always i'm never you know wringing my hands as the leaves change i'm <laughs> i'm slapping that glove thinking you know let's let's get these guys to hit into a double plane in the inning so what did you want to be when you uh, grew up? Uh, catcher for the Dodgers. And then what? Um, like when I was actually starting, some kind of uh, some kind of writer, some kind of some kind of writer, maybe a novelist. Have you ever like what was the? Because I think there's this transition point in our lives where we have these aspirations for what we want to be, right? Right. I too wanted to be a catcher, shockingly, right? Right. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, you just never had the skill set for it. <laughs> But um, I wanted to, you know, play baseball. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do all of these different things. And then at some point, you just stop those kind of aspirations yeah. and they fade. Yeah. Like, 
no bullshit. I literally think that I could still go be a catcher in the big leagues. It could happen. Like, like I'm a 42 year old man thinking, no, I, I think if I really applied myself, if I was in a different market. You give me six months. You know what I mean? I know what it takes to, to bring in, you know, top shelf yeah. uh, skills. There's no reason I couldn't go be a bullpen catcher somewhere. I mean, that's, that's how egocentric and how much hubris, how much I just, how much, how full of myself I am that they're like, no, if I wanted to do that, I could. Absolutely, I could. I go to Comic-Con and I see all these, you know, writers and comic book artists and things. And I still think I could do that. I'm six months away from getting my book published. No problem. So what is it now? What I want to be? Yeah. Like what, you know, if you could uh, instantaneously, if we could change next week and you're going to uh, pick your dream job or your dream passion or the thing that oh, you would want to yeah. do, what would that be? You know, until the last couple of years, it was still, you know, I want to be that Hemingway type writer who just holds up in a cabin in the woods outside of Jackson Hole and writes the great American novel, you know? Um, and then I've, you know, friends with a lot of writers and I see how solitary that is. Um, I, I'd love to direct, you know, I've done a ton of um, video work as part of my job over the years and I've gotten into that. So I'd love to like, um, you know, be a director. But again, I feel like I could. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just so full of myself. There's no reason I couldn't go direct something like that or go be that writer, director, pull a, pull a Damon Affleck. So what stops you? Um, I love my, I love my job, my actual job. Like I have very creatively creative and very, uh, creatively fulfilling job. And so I don't need a side project to devote all of that creative energy to because I have my nine to five already requires a ton of creativity and gives me a ton of freedom. And so I've never had that burning passion project. I mean, I just directed a short with a couple of buddies and had a great time doing that. But like anytime I have this cool creative germination going on, I immediately spin it out to a work project and I'm able to execute it. You know, it's not like I, I'm breaking rocks and an aspiring songwriter where I, you know, have to separate those two worlds. Like my creative world is all one space because it's so much a part of my job, part of my nine to five. And then I want to know what you believe in. Like big, grand, beautiful scheme of things. Cause we were brought up in the church. Uh, in this, I had this, I had, we, a we were brought up in the church. Well, I had a buddy ask me the other day, I was on a call with this friend of mine. And, um, he asked me cause he knew a little bit, he grew up in Grantsville as well. And so he knew about our, you know, our childhood and everything like that. And he's, so he's asking me, he's like, so you were raised in the church and all these kind of different things. And he gets to the point of his question and I kind of go back and I'm like, well, I really wasn't raised in the church. Right. We went to fucking church, but in no way, shape or form was well, it something that we embraced. It was something that mom let out on. And mm -hmm. I remember it being very cyclical. Like there'd be months where we were very active and there'd be months where we could talk her into not going. Yeah. Um, so I would have to say right now I am firmly agnostic, not really like, I definitely think, you know, these, um, these religious icons, there's something to them, but I don't necessarily think there's one path to God, um, or that, you know, God is some formal construct. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you can take something that's 
infinite and quantify it in any kind of thing that gets distilled down to a sentence. Like, it's just not that simple. I don't think it's anything that we can kind of quantify or understand. So do you have, um, would you say that you have a firm belief in something? And if not, is it something that you feel like it's not necessarily needed? I have a, like, for me, it all comes back to family. I have a firm belief in family. Um, you know, when I'm with my family and when I'm hiking outside, right, those are the two times that I feel the most spiritual, the most at peace, the most relaxed, the most connected to something bigger than myself. Um, but that's about it. So if there was ever a church of, you know, hiking with your sons, sign me up. You know what I mean? And have, do you ever go through periods where you question what that bigger thing is that you're connected to? Or are you just kind of comfortable with I, having it be? I am always the biggest thing that I am connected to. <laughs> I, I cannot un, I cannot overstate how big my ego is. Um, no, there's never periods of time where I go through some kind of existential, what does it all mean, crisis. Again, part of it is that I don't ever have the bandwidth. You know, um, Reese and I, you know, ha are just getting teenagers and early adults out of the house. So we've been parenting teens for the past 10 plus years. And we're, you know, we, our youngest one is still, is just in the thick of it. So we don't have a lot of excess time and energy to question the big, the big things. <clears throat> Part of that is because we're not active in the church. <laughs> So those aren't conversations that naturally come up and we're not trying to impart um, religious lessons to the kids in that way. So, yeah, I mean, we try to answer their questions as they have them, but it's never, it's not a part of our day to day the way I think it is in some families. You know what I mean? Yeah. What would be the fire that kind of burns inside of you and sp like spurs you on in life? I'm, I'm, I'm very much about doing the good work. And what I mean when I say that is that, you know, is, is this a, is this project? Is this, is this work, um, you know, contributing to the success of the company or the business? Is it, um, on par or pushing the envelope for the industry of, of what's, what's happening in this industry space? Is it stretching my skills as a professional? Is it stretching, you know, my capabilities as, as a marketing person, you know, and as long as it's pushing those three things, that's, that's what keeps me, that's what really, that's the fire. That's what gets me excited is when I can look at, look at the work we're doing and say, okay, you know, is it, is it, is it pushing the envelope in one of these areas? Okay. So that's in relation to work. What about like his life and who you are and a man and a husband and a father? Um, you know, I don't know, boring stuff, being supportive, all of that lame stuff that I'm supposed to say, being a good dad, all of that nonsense. Um, it's, I'm, I'm get, we're getting to the point now with the family where I just want to be a resource and be helpful to help them. Like, you know, my two adult children that are out of the house, I, I can't 
teach them any more lessons. I just have to be supportive of the decisions they make. You don't think you can still teach them lessons? I think I can teach them lessons by example. Mm -hmm. I think I can, um, I can offer counsel directly or indirectly, but it's not like with Gabe where we can have a come to Jesus and say, here's what, you know, here's what you should be doing. You know what I mean? Because they're adults, they're out of the house. They're, you know, early, early twenties, they're young adults. You know, you, you can't tell the people that age anything, you know what I mean? Um, and they already know everything. And so there's, there's the value that I can have for that is to just try to be an example and try to gently offer counsel when appropriate in, in appropriate ways, as opposed to take them to dinner and tell them what they should be doing with their life. Do you step lightly? Like I get the sense in the feeling that you're still kind of not still in the sense that you always have, but like, like where do you get to like be free and be um, like everything seems very calculated and it may just be in the way that you're talking cause you're on a fucking podcast mm -hmm. and you know, the, this isn't the easiest thing in the world at the end of the day. Um, but like, it feels like everything's very calculated in the, not in the analytical point of view, but you know, methodical thought out, like, where do you get to break free from that? Where do you get to kind of just not just create, but fucking, you know, I'll give you an example yeah. and you and I are different people obviously, but yesterday I was mowing the lawn, fixing the sprinklers, getting everything fired up and going. And at one point I was listening to this song. It's like one of my jams, right? It's one of the songs I turn on and just put on repeat and it fires me up. And it gets to this point in the song. And Party I'm, in the USA, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I'm pulling weeds and the sprinklers are going and the trampoline's wet. And I run out into the backyard, rip my shirt off and jump on the trampoline for 10 minutes in the sprinklers. As I'm, you know, oh, doing my, backflips and my stuff barbaric like that. yelp. Just like, when do you get yeah. that opportunity to kind of break free from the construct of all these different obligations and all these areas and the way that you have to be focused and calculated in a sense? Like, do you have those moments? You have those opportunities? Um, I get that annually when I play in my baseball league, where it's just a hundred percent selfish me for three hours, during, you know, once a week. And then I also get that when I go hiking, you know, when I'm out there in the foothills with the dog. Because I put on my podcast, I put on my... Um, of course you're listening the, to the Energy the, is Love the podcast. The Energy is Love podcast is always the number one. Um, and, or listen to a, a new album or some, you know, my favorite playlist. And I'm just gone. And you, keep in mind, like, the trails in Ogden are world class. Like, I can... You never hike the same trail twice because it, everything is so different seasonally. But there's probably 20 different trails that I can walk to from here. Um and be gone for half an hour or be gone for the entire day. And so it's really nice. Like it's scalable in that if I've got an hour to kill or I've got half a day to kill, I can go up and do that. And then that's, that's what it is. It's, it's a centering. It's a, it's a meditation. You know what I mean? It's exercise, but it's that forward momentum just brings, you know, that movement brings a little bit of clarity and helps you, um, get into a good headspace, solve problems, you know, refocus on yourself, kind of center your energy. Like it's just, it's great. It's, it's really, really nice. So that's, I would, I would say that would be my equivalent of jumping on the trampoline without a shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> Where, what areas are you still trying to improve 
um, in regards to yourself, like self work or just the, um, like where are you still trying to improve? Not just as a man. Well, that implies that I would perceive a flaw, you know, and I've been pretty close to perfect from the beginning. Okay. But there's definitely a part. There's definitely an area. Um, I see, I see things like when I'm stressed or frustrated or I don't have a lot of energy or resources to manage a conflict, I see me slide into bad habits, bad conflict management or bad communication habits. So I'm very cognizant trying to not let myself get so taxed so that I don't have that energy and then make sure that I make the right approach uh, into that conflict. You know, Gabe is going to be, is the only, my youngest 16, he's the, he's living, you know, he's the last kid. So it's just him in the house. He's not the last kid of life. Yeah. He's, he's the, <laughs> he's the last man on earth. Um, he's the last one we have in the house. And so, you know, Maurice and I are very, cause she's an old, she's the youngest and I'm an oldest. So we're very cognizant that it could completely come off the rails here, you know, or, but we need to continue to be effective parents. You know, we can't just treat him as the the tired gene theory. You can't phone it in at this point. Exactly. And so part of me is making sure that um, I take the time to give him, you know, the right energy that he needs. You know what I mean? And it's nice now because I just have so much more energy when there's only one to, to, to devote to than when there's three. You know, I'm not rushing to get to three sports schedules, three parent-teacher conference schedules, three after-school activity schedules. It's, it's just him. You know what I mean? And so 95% of the time, I'm able to make the right approach on the first pass as opposed to come in guns hot, you know, and just start yelling and screaming. In what ways have you, in what ways do you feel like you have failed as a father? Um, I feel like because we had the kids so young, there were certain, um, opportunities that we didn't have when money was so much tighter, you know what I mean? As a student and as a, as a young married couple, but it's seamless for the kids. You know what I mean? They think we've always been, you know, rich beyond our dreams. Um, I feel like I've always chosen jobs that were, you know, going to allow me to be an involved parent because I always knew that that's the time that, uh, I was always going to have time to go make the big bucks. I wasn't always going to have the time to coach the, the rec baseball team to go to scout camp. So I always made those things a priority, but I definitely think, you know, I could have been more patient in the early years. Um, a little bit more understanding, you know what I mean? And then, um, more accessible. I mean, you can always be more accessible, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff. If we were going to ask each of the boys, like what was, like if they could, you know, consolidate and solidify it down into what they learned from their father, um, what do you think that would be? Or what do you um, hope they would say? I would hope that it would be, you know, family and hard work. You know what I mean? Because one of the things that 
um, that we that's that's right front and center on our radar right now is that you know as these kids turn into teenagers, it's less about what you're saying and what you're doing, and more about watching your example. You know what I mean? Um, so I would like to think that you know being a good example, you know, being a, a good partner in a relationship, being a hard worker, um, having a good work ethic, uh, things like that. And then what don't I know about you? Um, I just drove a Cobra yesterday. Did you? Yeah. I got to drive our car yesterday and that was incredible. Was it like on a racetrack and everything? No, no, just in the neighborhood. Yeah. This thing is basically uh, a fighter jet. It's, it's 2000 pounds. So it's super light. Um, but it's, it's, it's based on that 65 Cobra. So it's got that sport, you know, you know, classic sports car body, but the folks that we got, we get the, the frame and the chassis from have been tweaking this, um, this design based on their race experience. Cause they're still actively racing this thing on tracks in rallies, you know, all, you know, all kinds of races. And so they've been tweaking this design for the past 20 plus years. So this thing is incredibly smooth, incredibly powerful. It's just a work of art. Uh, and I got to play around and drive it. Our feet are too big to, to drive it. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to wear some different shoes. Was it a stick? Uh huh. And it's a racing car, so that clutch really sticks or pushes back that last six inches as you push it down. And then I can't get to gas and brake without bumping into my other foot. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of make those adjustments quickly. But uh, it was a blast. I don't, I don't know any big stuff that you don't know about me. Like, I don't, I, d I don't know. <laughs> you know, you can't think of anything. No, I can't, I can't think of it. I mean, I think I could, I still think we're pretty, we're close and that we still do regularly, regular family stuff, you know, annual seasonal family stuff. Um, our kids are roughly the same age. And so we still have a lot in common that way, but I can't think of anything that, that I'm doing that you don't know about or that you don't know about me. What's the fastest you've ever gone in, you know, a car or something like that? Maybe 120. Maurice had that little, um, what was it? The coupe? Some kind of coupe. Not the one. Was it the one I crashed? The one I wrecked? How many car accidents have you been in? Uh, one? Like a, like maybe two? Two or three, like technical fender benders. Yeah. But I got T-boned uh, in Maurice's car at Snow. It was that blue one with all the dimples from I the... Think, yeah. And yeah. then she got the little coupe after that. Um, so I, I drove that for me from back to Grantsville uh, one summer and took the back roads. And I, I must have been... 120 most of that 130 did you have that desire at some point is like I've, the adrenaline I've, thing i've never been an adrenaline speed demon junkie really the way that you have yeah i don't know how that's not just innate in people <laughs> i don't get it oh that's another podcast but yeah no i mean i'll jump off the high dive you know what i mean i'll 
I'll do the the stuff, but that's never been like uh, I've never been uh, an adrenaline junkie in that in that way. Did you see that we went skydiving recently? I did. Yeah. Did you watch those videos? Uh, hate filled. I, I did a lot of hate watching. Hate fueled. Uh, an animosity toward all of that. Yeah. So I watched. I watched it all from like a Christy place of jealousy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you're you're down to the weight that you can do that. Exactly. You know, and it looked like it was a blast. I was still great videos too. Aren't like, those cool? I, oh, I cannot believe. I'm like, well, that means they had to have somebody. I'm like, it's perfect. Yeah, it, so it was cool. like an extra 120 bucks for that. Worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah, worth twice that. Yeah, it was amazing. It was definitely incredible. It was. I mean, not just on the bucket list, but it's something that after we got done with it, we're like, I mean, it's so easy and it's so convenient for us because it's five minutes down the road. And the investment to get to the point where we can just, because you can literally get to the point where you just go out there and pay like 50 bucks. Well, and it's right down the street. Yeah. I mean, you guys don't have to go far for that. Yeah. And, you know, we can get to the point where we could get certified and then Saturday, oh, what are we going to do today? Oh, let's just go out and jump. And, you know, it, it would cost us 80 or 100 bucks and we could do that whenever we wanted to after we make that initial investment. But that's something that we're going to do because it was so incredible. It was such a permanent neat experience. I mean, it looked incredible. Mm -hmm. That's that's so exciting. Well, <clears throat> now I want to flip a little bit, and I want you to. I want you to ask me questions. I want you to ask me things that maybe you've always wondered about me or my life, or things that you would want to know. Um, just anything at all. It doesn't even matter what it is. No, nah, I got nothing. <laughs> give me, give me a, to give me a, a topic. Like, you're killing me, right? Because I'm your little brother and I've always idolized you and looked up to you. I've asked, but I already know everything. You I mean, don't, though. You, like, there's massive amounts there's, of... There's only so many stories in the world, Craig. I mean, I don't know why you think that ours are so unique. It's not that they're unique. I mean, it goes back to that thing where, you know, you're focused on your own little bubble of life. The people that you're involved with, the things that you experience, your family, your friends, your coworkers, everything like that. That's that's reality, and that's the world for you. And um, like, what is there, if anything, that you would want to ask me? Like, I'm going to die tomorrow. I'm going to, you know, on the way home today, I'm going to get in a car accident, and I'm going to die. What is it that, looking back, you wish that you would have see taken I, the chance I, to ask I, me? I feel like you you think that these big weighty questions, you know, the big picture stuff is is based on a dialogue right like you know you want you want to have all of these heady conversations and you and you think that you're just a series of questions away from getting to that big picture you know what i mean personal philosophy stuff and i disagree i i think it's very much a um like you just have to observe somebody you just watch somebody to see what's important to them, to see where their priorities are, to see how they, you know, behave in certain situations. You see how they are under stress. That tells you everything you need to know. You know what I mean? So, like, I can't think of anything off the top of my head to... Um, and, and then, again, any time that I've had those questions, I've had no problem calling you and saying, what are you doing? What, what's, what's going on? You know what I mean? But I can't, there's, there's nothing that I'm dying to know or ask, you know what I mean? Because I, but again, it's because I feel like I've been checking in periodically. 
We haven't, though. But we hardly uh, ever talk. But w- we hardly ever talk. But no, I, yeah, we hardly ever talk. But it's like I don't remember the last time you called me and said, "Hey, what the hell's going on, or why is this happening, or what's occurring, or what?" Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't remember the last time that has ever happened. Well, prior to us having lunch or dinner uh, the few weeks back, back in March, mm-hmm. and I, I think I told you this at the time. I think I, I couldn't remember the last time that happened with just the two of us. It was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. So we're not doing that. We're not, you know, checking in. We're not, uh, like the fact is, I think you probably don't know what my day-to-day life looks like. And it's not to say that you have to in order to have context for who I am as a person or, you know, it doesn't obviously take away or withdraw from your life and you're not sitting up at night wondering, oh my God, what, 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 what did Craig do today? That's not what I'm saying, but. Like in the bigger context no, but of things. I, I know I know where you choose to spend your time. I know where you choose to spend your energy. I know, I mean, you, you have, you know, one of these photographers that I follow on uh, social always talks about, you know, why he can charge the high price points. And it's because he finds the right clients, of course. But the, he always says, you have the money for the things you want to have money for. And so, you know, I, I certainly know what the priorities are for you. What are they? Well... I don't know. You you like to travel. You like to work in this hippy dippy uh, space. You know what I mean. Um, you you like to pursue the big picture stuff. You like to to ask the big questions. You like the social engagement with with people to um, to tr- to do this novel type work. You know what I mean. To to not push the envelope, but to have a different conversation with folks. To um, to contribute your part to some of this, to this space. You know, this is this is a very unique podcast. The way you do it, so I, I think you like that. You know, you're a little bit of a, an adrenaline junkie. Um, you can be shiny from time to time. You know, you've had a lot of careers over the years. Um, just that kind of stuff. You know. Did you worry about me when I was a cop at all? Um. Yeah, but I always knew that you were going to be a really good cop. Like, you know, you you weren't going to be in harm's way if you were in a like you would have been if you were in a bigger market in a bigger city. But you were always going to be a good cop. You know what I mean? And you know that's that's certainly the takeaway that I had from your experience there. But again. You know, you that's the, the, the pros and cons of living in a place like Twila in that there's not always a place for people who are really good at their job. You know what I mean? But um, no, I, I would get worried when you would go through those transitional phases and you would go from being a letter carrier to being a cop. You know what I mean? I hated to see you move away from Layton because I loved having you so close, you know. Even though we didn't, it's not as it's not as if we were part of each other's, you know, regular routine. You know, I just love the idea of having you and Layton. Um, you know, all I got is Sammy, and she's she's still next door. You know what I mean? So that's that's great. Um, but I can't think of any big picture questions that I've been dying to ask or been dying to know. You know what I mean? Do you feel like we know each other? 
I feel like we do, but I feel like that's mostly from, you know, 20 years of observation and stuff. And I feel like you don't because we don't, we're not getting together and talking about the big existential pieces regularly. Is, is that a fair assessment? Is that? I feel like we know each other, but I feel like it's the, I feel like it's the, it's the character or the picture or the image that we have created in our heads for one another. Like, I feel like I know my big brother, but that is the, you know, the image and the picture that I have created of him. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I don't know what you do every day. I don't know what your day in and day out experience is. And I'm not saying that that's important. It's not like that that's something that's missing. No, but there's there's, there's value in that minutiae and understanding, you know, the. Like, it's one thing to observe one another, right? And the fact is. All we see is the big picture stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not seeing you mowing the lawn. I'm seeing you jump out of an airplane. Mm -hmm. You know, I only. We're only posting or we're only seeing or following the, the grandest of highlights. You know what I mean? You're not seeing when I. Uh, I'm not Instagramming when I get in a fight with one of the kids, you know what I mean? So you're only seeing the highlight reel, but, but still like, you know, we have the same parents. We grew up in the same town. Our experiences were very different, but it's not as if that's going to turn us into completely different human beings. You know what I mean? And, and I see, you know, the mannerisms and, and the, the conversation, not the, not the conversation patterns, but the the nonverbals that our grandfather have, that our dad has, that I do. And I think, oh, I bet you sure as shit uh, Craig is out there doing this. I bet you when Craig gets stressed, he does this because that's that's what I do. You know what I mean? So I don't think there's as much um, disparate experience to kind of change us into completely different people. But I... I I, I, I think you're right in that we could do better about checking in and having those types of conversations. But I also think that, you know, you're discounting 20 years of ob- observational data. You know what I mean? Like you've seen Maurice and I, you know, as a couple and as a parent for 20 years, that's going to give you some pretty good insight. You know what I mean? I've watched you go through you know, all of your stages and stuff. And that gives me a pretty good insight. Um, having a conversation about it doesn't give me the, a more accurate big picture. It gives me your perception of it. It gives me your headspace around it. It doesn't, doesn't mean that's the ultimate truth to it. You know what I mean? You're always the hero in your own story. So I think that you know, you, you can't discount the value of 20 years of observational data. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, have you had Brian on yet? No, we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to do this again, uh, at some point down the road when all three of us can be on. For sure. Cause that would be really fun, sure. I think. But, um, but how often do we talk to Brian and I mean, how tough of a nut is that to crack? Well, I think it's incredible. That's the thing is I, I think you're talking about, about surface things and not in the sense of discrediting them or making them smaller or things like that. But this observational data that I have in regards to you and the way that I've seen your life and experienced it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's just maybe one or two layers deep and there's so much more to who you are. There's so much more that makes you, but I'm not talking observational in day to day stuff. I'm talking 20 years of life decisions. 
of, of, of life decision. You know what I mean? And, and, and you're, you're, um, you saying that, you know, the only way to convey that kind of self-awareness is through dialogue. You know, I think dialogue is a part of it, but it's only one part of it. You know what I mean? And the, you the dialogue is just that person's perception of, of the events or the situation. Well, I think like Brian's a good example. First off, Brian's our other brother. Right. So I have Who's two. not here. So it's horrible that we're even talking about him. But I think we have a very, I know for me personally, I have a very clear picture of what I think Brian is. And then every time we get it, because he lives in another state, we hardly ever get to see him. We do it. I, I do a terrible job of staying in touch with him. Mm -hmm. we, and both, we both do. Every time I, every time I get to see him, um, yes, I see that image and that picture of what I think he is. And it's some qualities and some traits and some things that just make up who he is. But then I think I always get the sense too, like there's way more. He has evolved and changed massively in, do you know what I mean? The time span that has taken place sure. over the last five or 10 years. So how is talking to him going to help you fill that in, fill in those gaps? Because I'm not, part of it is your expectation that everybody's going to have the same kind of heady conversation that yeah. that you want to lead out on. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely picking that up at this point in the conversation right. in this podcast episode. Right. Um, but my own personal experience tells me that in those conversations, in that space of because it's not just I don't want to know what you do day in and day out. I want to know what it feels like. I want to I want to connect to you and get the sense and the feeling and the sensation of what you think and what you feel and what you process. These are all abstract. They're not though. So what, what's the line of question that you have to get to that? Um, it's some of the stuff I've been asking you. Right. But you're, you're asking me things in the abstract. And so I, I, I struggle to answer them. Because you don't go into that space. Right. I'm not as well versed as you going into that yes. space. Yes. And so it's, it's a harder, like you said, it's a harder nut to crack. I mean, my guess is you would define Brian in some of the same ways that I would. But when I'm in his space and when I talk to him and when I connect with him, I can see that there's way more that's taking place. So, so part of the exercise of the podcast is to try to verbally walk a mile in this other person's shoes. To some extent. Do you know what I mean? To some extent, yes, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, all I enjoy is just the fucking conversation. Right, right. I just like being in this space. For sure. But I know that from not just sitting around, because it's not just sitting around and having deep, abstract conversations where we discuss, you know, all of these bigger, greater right. questions and things what, like what that. What is God? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a wonderful conversation. But at the end of the day, like when you talk, there's been times when I've had conversations with you where I feel what you're saying. I feel connected to you. And I know what that is because I experience it but, on a regular basis with people. Right. Right. And I don't experience it on a regular basis with you or right. with Brian. Right. Part of that is that you're pre-selecting folks for your, your podcast that are already in that shared headspace. But it's not even in the podcast. It's in my, do you know what I mean? In the right. No, right. But, but you're, you're, you're pre-selecting people that you have that experience with because they're already in that headspace mm -hmm. where that you are, you know, in, if there's two overlapping circles, you guys have a lot of that, a lot of overlap, a lot of that in common. Yes. Versus that's not a, a headspace that I spend a lot of time in. You know what I mean? So it's much harder for me. For us to do the, I mean, you and I would have to to go do a week of camping or something before we level out to be at the same headspace. You know what I mean? And and we get like that. Like the longer we're on a family vacation, the more in sync and more in tune we are. 
you know, the tail end of a, a California trip, you and I don't have to say, you know, two words to each other. And we know exactly what we're, what we're dealing with, where we're at, where our heads are at. But that just comes from, you know, that shared experience and being through time. Do you not have the desire to have that connection, like not just with other people in your life, but also with yourself? See, I don't understand that question. That is such <laughs> abstract nonsense. There's not a noun in that question. See, the do, abstract... I wish I, do I wish I had more deeper connections with people? Like, I, I, I choose to spend my time with the people that I care about, yes. right? Both in work and with my family. And so the fact that I spend my time with them, all of these things that you describe or that you think is a offshoot of a, of a heady conversation, that just happens in the, in the nature of spending time. You know, going out to, to dinner with my, with my family is one of my all-time favorite activities, period. Because it's just a, a finite moment where nobody needs anything. All their needs are being met, and we can just sit there and talk about whatever we want or whatever comes up. And, you know, everybody's it, personality comes through 100%. You know what I mean? Because... You know, we're just we're just there with the the people that we've spent the the most amount of time with. Um, but I don't think that I don't know these people because I'm not asking the right questions. I feel like I know them intimately because I'm choosing to spend my time with them and I'm trying to be my best self when I'm around them. You know, and everything from how they talk to somebody on the phone to how they run a meeting to how they interact with their friends, you know, in the kids situation, like that's all really telling. Like you just have to observe. There's, there's so much more communicated in the, in the body language and the unspoken stuff than, than can ever be communicated verbally with, you know, asking them to, to, to verbalize something. Like I, I agree. Right. Okay. I agree that the body and the nonverbal communication and being in that space with other people and things like that. I agree completely that there's a lot of information that is uh, shared in that space. Right. But there's also a level of communication that takes place with words, like very clearly with words that is just as nuanced and just as deep and just as profound. I don't agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that you are, I think that you, um, your muscle memory and your skill set for that emotional language is top shelf right now. Like it is a hundred percent, you know, it's a sharp, you know, as a razor because that is the nature of your podcast. And that's the nature of the conversations that you have here. And so you get that kind of feedback from people. Sometimes it might feel like you're pulling teeth, you know, the first half hour or something, but once they sit down and open up, no problem. Right. Because that was a large part of your role as a cop you know, to get people comfortable talking about personal information with you, you know, that's, and everything that you've transitioned since that's been a major part. So your ability to get to the, to the nut and get people to verbalize that kind of stuff is second to none, right? You're super good at that right now because that's, that's the people that you engage with and you seek out, you know, you're not doing men on the street type stuff. You're interviewing other hippies, right? And you've got, um, so it, it's it's a lot harder for somebody who's not well versed in that space to come in with that same emotional vocabulary to be able to verbalize 
how they feel about all these heady topics. You know what I mean? And maybe, you know, if you had somebody that was more well-versed in a religious space, it would be easier for them. You know what I mean? But part of the, the challenge for me is that I'm not overly um, religious. So I, I don't, that vocabulary isn't a part of my lexicon. You know what I mean? So it's not, I, I can't cue it up easily. Do you ever have moments where you catch yourself, like the reflection of yourself, or you see yourself in the mirror or, or the mannerisms or something like that, and it reminds you of me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think people are going to be confused as hell because you and I sound the same. <laughs> we sound the most similar. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. I do that a lot. Yeah. Well, I love you. I love you too. Thank you so much for coming up. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I'm such a <laughs> bad guest. To, You're not to a be bad guest. You're my big brother. I love it. <laughs> and I think, I think to, to your point, I think, you know, if, if we both commit to, to having more conversations regularly, it'll get easier to get into those weightier topics more easily, you know, versus, you know, you just want to come and, and talk about it. And I'm just like, you know what, just let's just go do something. And that will all come out. You know what I mean? Because, you know, observational versus verbal data. Yeah. We need to go hiking. You need to come out. Yes. And we can hike up to we'll, the... We'll do a hike at your place. To the lake. To we'll the do peak. a hike at my place. You I know just what I mean? A, um, and you'll get to know the true me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we were driving back the other day um, from Steph's parents' house. And so that's clear up um, the top of... Uh, Fuck, I don't even know what path. It's the pass that goes up over to Dugway. Mm -hmm. And so we drive yeah. all along the mountain range as we're headed there and coming home and everything. And we're driving along and I get a look at those beautiful mountains that we grew up at. And I'm sitting there thinking and I decided in the moment because I was talking to Asher as a way to kind of distract him because he's bouncing off the walls on the car ride. Mm -hmm. And I start talking to him about stuff. And it re I realized after a moment of talking to him, I'm like, this is, I've got this plan now. Uh, once he, school wraps up in a few weeks and summer's, you know, here. I'm going to take him out for an overnighter. We're going to hike mm -hmm. up to the lake and pitch a tent and just him and I, we're going to go through that experience. Um, cause I think it's, it's going to be really, really awesome. But the reason I bring it up is like, you know, that's something that you and I have talked about sporadically over the years here and there. Mm -hmm. And like, it's something that we've never fucking done. Nope. And it's really asinine and it's so easy. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's going to be easier now that mm -hmm. our kids are older. For sure. Yeah. But the, the times that we were hot on it and talking about it, it was not easy. But it would be it would be so much easier for us to to do a handful of these things. Yeah. Like I have to go fishing for the day out of your place, you know, mm -hmm. to go hiking at my place. So I, I think that's that's reasonable. Um, tell me about the smoking. That's something that I, I want to know. <laughs> I've had how many? Let's see. I don't know. Two, four, five. I'm on my sixth cigarette yeah. now during and I, this I, interview. And it's killing me to not have a cigar because I, I like to to do cigars out here on the deck. Mm -hmm. um, but it's so damn hot. Um, why the smoking? I'm addicted to it. Right. No, I understand that. I started smoking when I was in Minnesota. Uh -huh. So we're coming up on 20 years of smoking. But, but intermittent. Like you've gone through long periods of time where you haven't smoked. Is that correct? Yeah, I had... You know, I had periods of time where I think the longest stretch that I probably went without smoking was probably four or five years. Um, but that's been a long time ago. And it's been pretty consistent probably for the last eight or nine, probably ten While years. While you were on the force? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, I mean... How many it, packs a day? Uh, I probably don't smoke less, a pack a day. Le less than a pack. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, but we, we, the last year or so, we stopped fucking around because we would just go down and buy four packs at a time. Uh, and uh, we, we just buy cartons now. Uh, we, we don't even fuck around anymore. God, you're one of those guys. Yeah, and it's terrible, and I know it is. It's one of the last little things in my life that yeah. I'm going to let go of and change. I mean, everything else has been such a transitional phase for the past three years, and this is the one of the last ones. Everything else is coming into this incredible balanced place, my body, my mind, my emotions, my spirituality, mm-hmm. uh, my relationships, um, my focus and direction in life, all of these different things. And smoking is just the one, one little last thing I haven't, I didn't, uh, I haven't had a drink since December. Oh really? And before that it was, that was uh, going to be my next question. It was August before that. And the only reason I had any in December was cause it's when I was in Ireland well, and I mean, um, you got to. I mean, we had to go have pints at Guinness. Uh, you know, required for the visa. It I'm was sure. very much. Uh, it was very much required of me at the time, and I gladly drank three or four pints. And um, but other than that, I just haven't had any alcohol. And it 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 wasn't even a conscious thing. It wasn't like a um, a goal. It wasn't something that I set out to do. It just simply became something that wasn't needed anymore. Uh, you know, Steph and I used to very regularly relax at the end of the day with cocktails. And that was pretty consistent for a while. Or yesterday I was outside doing yard work all day long. Normal for me to go and buy a 12-pack and finish off probably six or eight of them. And I just don't have the need for it anymore. And mm-hmm. it's not a, like if something else comes up and I want to have a drink, I'm going to drink. It's not something that I, you know... Intentionally not doing. Yeah, it's just I literally don't care. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we haven't had soda in almost a year, so I haven't had any soda. Yeah, you're or you're eating a lot healthier too. I know you've lost a ton of weight, um, and you're eating much healthier, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're doing the no carb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, the smoke's just hanging on, and it's a coping mechanism, and it's a de stressor, and those are excuses for it. The reality is, I'm just straight up fucking addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Where you know, I'm not awake for much more than about 15 or 20 minutes in the morning before I have my mm. first smoke. Oh, I can't imagine that. Yeah. But I still, like right now I could still go run three miles. Uh-huh. Yeah. I believe that. <laughs> I could. I don't doubt it. Do you know what I mean? Keep I, in mind we're at a much higher elevation, elevation here in Ogden. <laughs> when I went on that uh, expedition, they were all concerned about the elevation and, oh my God, we have, it's going to be so hard because the elevation and yeah, we, I mean, the peak that we summited was like 13,000 feet, Mm -hmm. but I think Grantsville's at five. Mm -hmm. So elevation wasn't an issue, but I don't know. I don't like it. It's a bad habit. It drives me nuts. I I wish we didn't do it. Um, Part of it is that you both do it. It is. Yeah. It's really challenging. And we were going to quit. We were going to quit at the first of the year. And then everything just went off the rails. So, but it's only a matter of time. And I see myself phasing it out. I'm not slowing down. Like when I say I I see myself phasing out, it doesn't mean that like I'm starting to cut back and making conscious efforts. Fuck that. Like, Mm -hmm. it'll have to be a cold turkey thing. Yeah. And that's what I did in the past too. And I don't have a problem going cold turkey. Um, You know, it it just is what it is at this point. And I I haven't allowed myself to devote time and energy and shame and guilt to it because <laughs> is that important to you to, to make some time to devote some guilt to well it? think about the things that you want to, like right now you're overweight mm-hmm. well, i mean barely <laughs> i don't know if you could you could notice from where you're at but 
but there's going to be some part of your subconscious or even your conscious mind where you feel a little bit of frustration and guilt over that and you beat yourself up in a sense. I, again, you can't discount how big my ego is. <laughs> yeah. No, the, 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 the part that feels bad about that is how do I make a better choice today? What, yeah. what is that? How do I create a scenario where I'm going to be in a, in a place to make better food or exercise choices? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's literally nothing stopping you. Uh, time and energy, the, the classics. Just excuses. Yeah. 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 And I'm the same way with smoking. There's nothing stopping me from throwing that pack away and just not smoking anymore. But I don't. And I'm not planning on it, you know, next well, week. There's, and this is, this is again like what I was kind of hinting at. Like there's so many things that we have going on and so many stresses that we have. We only have so much emotional bandwidth to dedicate to some of these issues. And that's the part of, like, that's the bigger, greater thing that I've been doing and working on right. within my own space. Right, right. So right now you're focusing on all of these other X, Y, and Z, Where and I you're just letting the slack out anymore. on the smoking. Yeah. So once everything else around you, the periphery is locked down, then you'll have the resources to say, you know what, let's, let's deal with the smoking. Now. Cause those are the excuses we tell us like mm -hmm. this whole bandwidth thing that you've been referring to. Like that's an excuse. It's because hundred percent not an excuse. It is because you limit yourself to, well, I only have, you know, I've only got 10% of my bandwidth or a hundred percent. And right now, 95% of it is taken up with uh, family, uh, children, work, all these other things. So that right. only leaves me 5%. And I just don't have enough to fill that 5% up. That's an excuse. Because the fact is, we'll just use 100%, even though the fact is that that amount is limitless, right? We have the... No, 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 no. That amount really is do. not limitless. We really do, though. Mm -hmm. When you start to tap into it, you realize that, I mean, the human body itself and the capacity that it has to do massively amount, like huge amounts of not just strenuous things, but taxing things and like the, the ability of what we can hold up at one time is limitless, but we limit ourselves yeah, to thinking that. That's totally not true. Well, then you got to lift some more. Like, you got to realize that you can actually. No, you, it's a, it's a zero sum game. It's you only not. have so much emotional energy and decision-making skills in no. any given day. No, you we can't. limit ourselves to it. Uh, I, don't, I it's, don't. It's it's a muscle that can be stretched. There's I on the right up here. I was listening to a podcast, and the guy that's on it uh, runs ultra marathons. He essentially runs a marathon a day, and then he'll go through period. You know, he'll have races that. Yeah, come I'm not up. talking about physical body stuff. Okay, but they're all interlate. They're all interconnected. It it's the same. It's the same structure and dynamic where we can push our physical bodies further than we think we can. We can do the same thing with emotional mental and spiritual but there's only so many hours of the day like this emote this guy that spend is running those are hours that he's not spent doing something else correct yeah it's where we choose so it's not yeah we're saying the same thing i think like i agree <laughs> i agree that you're an idiot and that this marathon guy's an idiot <laughs> and that what i'm doing is awesome yeah so, yeah I, th I think we got there i think we're we're, we're saying this roundabout way yeah yeah well thank you man <laughs> craig it's a lot of fun it's so much fun to work with you in this space and to see the the professional, you know, way that you that you conduct this podcast, and I'm I'm proud of you, and I love you, and I'm so excited to to be a part of it. Thank you. So, you betcha. We didn't get a chance because I was going to ask you about the shift and change in job and everything. We don't have to go into it. Well, but we can do a a marketing 101 later. I uh, just throw out one. Uh, if people wanted to find out what you're doing right yeah. now. Um, right now, I am selling um, classic sports cars uh it's called ornata motors o-r 
N-A-T-A, or Nautomotors.com. And it's it's a vehicle based on the classic 65 Cobra. Those Steve McQueen, mid-60s, hot European-inspired race cars. And so we're building those here in Ogden now. Um, so it, anybody that wants to have that kind of classic race car driving, I mean, it, it looks and it sounds like a race car, but you could take it to go get a gallon of milk. Um, you know, anybody that wants to experience driving that kind of thing can, can find me there. Did you see Avengers? Yes. It was not what I expected, but it was still amazing. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. We all have theories on it because we went on Sunday for Steph's birthday, but that's another podcast too. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much to unpack there. Love you. Love you too. I definitely think as the oldest, I had a little bit more of a burden to be the good example, to walk the straight and narrow, to be a little bit more of a helper and support. So if there was ever a church of, you know, hiking with your sons, sign me up. I literally think that I could still go be a catcher in the big leagues. For me, it all comes back to family. I have a firm belief in family. With the traumas and stuff, you, you, there's no right or wrong way to get through it. You just have to get through it.